0: Welcome to another edition of the Official Jets Podcast, powered by Amazon Web Services. EA and I are kicking off a new series, the Opponent Preview Series, where EA and myself are breaking down each of the Jets' 2020 opponents, and we're going to hear from the beat writers, people that cover the team, whether that's internal for their website or external, like a beat writer. Today, we're joined by Chris Brown, the Bills insider from buffalobills.com, and the Jets and Bills play twice before the Jets play any other opponent in the AFC East. And it kind of feels like deja vu all over again. Jets, Bills week one, but this time in Orchard Park.
1: It certainly does Yogi Berra. Uh, last year, the uh, Jets uh, started off with a lot of promise They had a 16, nothing lead over the Bills at MetLife stadium. And then CJ Mosley went out, as we all know, the Bills came back and won that ball game. And that, Last game that we were at in Orchard Park felt like more of a preseason affair. Not from the Jets' perspective, because they wanted to finish the season strong. But the crowd was sparse. It was a rainy, cold day. The Bills had already clinched their spot in the playoffs, so they played a lot of backup. So it didn't have that traditional end-to-season feel But these teams are going to get after early this season. And it was a harbinger for things to come for the Jets and the Bills because the Bills got off to a hot start. The following week, they took down the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium. And they ultimately rode that powerful start to the playoffs, whereas the Jets not only lost C.J. Mosley, quarterback Sam Darnold didn't feel right against the Bills, and a couple days later, he was diagnosed with mono. The green and white play four quarterbacks in four games. They start one and seven, and we know how the rest of the season played out where they finished strongly. But uh, yeah, listen, week one on the road. I think this is a great opportunity for the Jets Because the Bills are going to be an unfamiliar position this year, 2020, Ethan, in my book. I think this is the team who is the favorite in the AFC East.
0: I think that this is going to be a very intense matchup because of what happened last year in week one. And it's really hard to take into account what happened between the Jets and Bills in week 17 because – the Bills were basically resting their players before their playoff matchup against the Houston Texans. So this is in theory, if all parties are healthy and all the top players are healthy, it's going to be a really good game. And it almost feel like the jets might be out for blood because of what happened in week one. And you start to factor in Sam Darnold in theory will be a hundred percent. Yes. The bills have Stefan Diggs. I think it's really going to be a, a fascinating matchup and, I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, we all are. After everything that's happened this spring uh, with the pandemic, and once we saw that schedule release come out, you always tend to think, well, you got a decent shot that it's going to be a divisional opponent, and it, it's been Jed's Bills three of the past four years. I kind of like opening up on the road, too, not because... You're not going to miss your home fans. It's just playing with house money, so to speak. I think when you're on the road, divisional home, uh, divisional game to start off. And I don't know if the Jets are going to be out for blood. I just think this is going to be important for both teams because the Bills, you want to start and hold serve at home, whereas the Jets week two, they can't look ahead because they got San Francisco 49ers coming to town and the podcast goes on and the regular season is going to go on as well.
0: Let's hear from Chris Brown from BuffaloBills.com to learn about what Buffalo did this offseason and what he thinks about the Bills in 2020. Obviously, Stephon Diggs, a huge offseason acquisition for the Bills. What exactly does he add to this offense that maybe the Bills didn't have last year?
2: Well, I think he's a true number one receiver. And, you know, I know for most of the fans of AFC teams, they probably don't see Stefan Diggs all that much. I think a lot of people know who he is, obviously, especially after the Minneapolis miracle play that he made in the playoffs to beat the Saints a couple of years ago. But what they're getting is a truly elite receiver. Uh, I don't think I'm overstating it to say he's probably top five, top seven in the league at the receiver position. And for anybody that wants to question that, go look at his catch rate, 81.8% last year. Go look at his touchdown marks. In the last three years, he's got 23 touchdowns. Yeah, that's That ranks fifth in the league over that span with guys like Travis Kelsey and Michael Thomas down in New Orleans. So what the Bills needed was a point producer, a proven point producer,
1: He gives them that deja vu all over again for the Jets and the Bills. Instead of matching up at MetLife Stadium, they will be matching up in Orchard Park, Western New York week one. What did you think when you saw the schedule released and saw Jets bills again for the third time in four years in opener?
2: Yeah. What else is new? (laughs) Um, yeah, it's always kind of a weird thing too, because even though they're division opponents and you want to say they know each other, we all know that coaches through the course of an off season, put some wrinkles in their playbooks, find some new elements that they think might work better based on the new personnel they may have inherited. And so week one is very often a mystery, you know, for coordinators in terms of just what they're going to get because everybody plays at vanilla in the preseason. And so week one is when you have the most unknowns. And I think that's what makes it such an intriguing game, even though it's two opponents
0: who are very familiar with one another. Chris, how much would you say, thinking back to last year, week one was a springboard for the Bills? Because from the Jets' perspective, the Jets had the 17 to nothing or the 16-0 lead before the Bills came back. It almost felt like the air was sucked out of the Jets a little bit and then Sam gets hit with mono a week after that. But from a Bills' perspective, you know how much was that game a springboard and how much do you think week one overall between two division opponents could be a springboard for the winning team?
2: Yeah, I think the Bills going into last year, their first two games were on the road back-to-back at MetLife, as a matter of fact, at Jets, at Giants. And I think they knew that they had to get at least one of those two and ideally both of them. And so being able to come from behind and win that game in week one, 17-16 against the Jets, was pretty important, knowing they had to come right back down there the next week and play a Giants team that, you know, admittedly, had some, some problems and some things to fix over the course of the 2019 campaign. But the bill schedule, as it laid out last year, it was easier on the front half and got considerably more difficult on the back half. And I think you'd agree that the Jets schedule was probably the reverse of that. They had a murderous first half and then it lightened up in the second half, which is why you guys probably finished better than you started. Um, but yeah, it got them on the right track, and they knew they had to rack up wins in the first half of the season so they would be able to put themselves in playoff position and, and kind of get a couple of key wins down the second half of the, st- of the season in the stretch drive, and that would be
1: enough to qualify for postseason play. We talked about Stefan Diggs. What do you make of both of these young quarterbacks entering their third seasons, Josh Allen at Buffalo, Sam Darnold with the jets and the opportunity possibly ahead of them with Tom Brady out of the division. Now at Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
2: Yeah, I think the most advantageous thing for both of them is same system. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Darnold had to get used to a new offensive system as we know, For for Josh Allen, this is year three in the offensive system under Brian Dable. And so what you have is continuity, which I think is even more valuable this offseason because we don't know what kind of offseason we're going to have from an on-the-field physical rep standpoint. So the fact that Darnold and Allen have offensive coordinators and offensive systems that they're wholly familiar with I think it is going to help them in an off season where reps may be hard to come by.
0: Chris, what do you make of Josh Allen's growth from year one to last season? And what does he need to do to improve from last season to 2020?
2: Yeah, I know. And everybody says this about him time and again, the deep ball accuracy is an area where he has to get better. He struggled with that last year, only 25% completion percentage for 20 yards or more. And that number has to get up. Typically in the league, the better quarterbacks are up around 40%. And he's got to hit about one or two of those a week to keep defensive coordinators honest, where they say, Hey, look, I can't, we can't play cover one. You know, we got to drop uh, an extra safety, Deep, so we don't get burned by the likes of Stefan Diggs and John Brown, you know, on deep routes. So deep ball accuracy is probably number one ball security. When he takes off and runs, he had 16 fumbles counting the wild card game for 17 games last year. Fortunately, he only lost four of them, but he's got to hold on to those a little bit better. Um, but from year one to year two, where he made his strides we're in that 10 to 19 yard area. He became a much better intermediate passer. And, you know, you look to Cole Beasley as a big reason for that. The steady emergence of Dawson Knox helps in that area. So you look at that whole thing rolled together and he cut down on his interceptions too, particularly in the second half of the season. I think he only had two over his last nine or 10 games. So those are the areas where he improved, but deep ball accuracy, ball security when he does take off and run, and then some decision-making at critical points of the game. I think a lot of people thought he had a couple of haywire decisions toward the end in the wild card game against Houston, but I, I think it was a guy who just saw Deshaun Watson make some giant plays at the end of that game to help his team win, and I think he felt compelled, i got to do the same thing. And so I think he got out of his comfort zone and maybe tried to do a little too much. And I think with these added weapons, like Diggs, like Zach Moss to compliment Devin Singletary, he will feel less apt to try to go out and make all of these plays happen on his own.
1: I always like the jets and the bills matchup because Josh Allen and Jamal Adams are both so hyper-competitive and you see them often after plays join. And sometimes you don't see that from quarterbacks, but Josh Allen seems to enjoy that back and forth a little bit. Let's go to the other side of the ball. How good can this bill's defense be? You think about, potentially elite players in all three levels. Tredavious White, one of the finest cornerbacks in the National Football League. Tremaine Edmonds, a budding star at the inside linebacker position. And Ed Oliver, I know he just had some off-the-field issues, but he seems like he's got unlimited potential up there along that defensive line. Yeah, I I think the thing
2: that Brandon Bean and his personnel department did this offseason was make a top-five unit even deeper. Uh, Yes, they lost Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson in free agency, but they re-fortified the defensive line with Mario Addison, who's had at least nine sacks each of the last four seasons down in Carolina. And even though he's a little long in the tooth, I think still has a couple of good years left uh, to come off the edge and, and compliment Jerry Hughes on the other side in pass rushing situations. And then you get The interior player, Quentin Jefferson from Seattle, who I think is a very underrated run defender and is versatile too. You know, you can put him out to set the edge on rundowns and then kick him inside as well uh, whenever you want and work in that rotation there. And they also signed Vernon Butler, who I think still is scratching, just scratching the surface of what he can be as a physical imposing type inside. And then you have Harrison Phillips coming back from the ACL injury. Uh, that cost him all but three games last season uh, to play inside and really work in that run front. You have guys that can come at you in waves on that defensive line, and Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator, does like to rotate guys through and keep them fresh. And oh, by the way, the top draft choice, A.J. Epinesa, is a player who they feel can effectively set the edge on rundowns and then kick inside with a guy like Ed Oliver and rush from an interior position on pass rushing downs. The linebacking core is where they need more of the answers. Uh, you know, you have Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, who are a great tandem. You know, when they're playing nickel as much as they are, uh, AJ Klein is a veteran player who knows this system, having played it in Carolina before he went to New Orleans the last few years. So he's going to help there. Um, so I, I, I think they've done a lot to make themselves an even deeper unit than they've been the
0: past two years when they finished top five defense in the league. So I think you answered my next question, which was going to be, if you're attacking this bill's defense, where are they most vulnerable? And I assume the answer is linebacker. And then I'm just curious what you think of the cornerback situation opposite of Tredavious white.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's linebacker in base, whoever that third linebacker ends up being, but this team, as I said, they play nickel so much and, To me, you look at the production numbers of Milano and Edmonds. Edmonds did make the Pro Bowl last year. I think Milano's a, a candidate for it as well. And maybe he would get more consideration if he didn't line up next to Edmonds. So those two guys, from a cover perspective, are really good. And then the corner opposite Tredavious, it's been Levi Wallace the last couple of years, you know, an undrafted rookie who I think is an overachiever. You know you have Josh Norman in the mix now, and he's probably gonna be the primary competition for Levi Wallace. Whether he's able to kind of have a renaissance with his career remains to be seen after a couple of tough years in Washington. But talking to Josh Norman, he believes this is a scheme that best fits his skill set. He's very excited to be back with Sean McDermott after playing for him and playing his best football under McDermott in Carolina, where he went to the pro bowl and ultimately became the franchise player down there before they rescinded the tag and Washington scooped him up for 15 million per a few years ago. So I think he's looking to reclaim his status as a top end corner in this league, whether he can beat Levi Wallace out for that job, though
1: remains to be seen. How do you think the Bills are going to deal with increased expectations? Two of the past 3 seasons they made the playoffs and I thought maybe the little engine net could but like I mentioned before Tom Brady no longer in New England the Patriots probably going to go with Jared Stidham and a lot of people are going to look at the Bills and say that it has the makings of the most talented roster in the AFC East, and they should be the favorite in this division.
2: Yeah. It's, it's the question of, you know, you've been the hunter. How do you take on the role of being the hunted? Um, The coaching staff GM, Brandon Bean have stated it time. And again, when they've been asked this question and they've said, Hey, look, new England won the division last year. And until somebody beats them on the field, They're still the team to beat, and I understand that logic completely, but when you're looking at it on paper, the Bills' roster top to bottom, offense, defense, special teams, is probably the deepest in the division right now with what they've been able to assemble over the course of the last three years. I think the Jets and the Dolphins are trying to do that same thing. I just think they're a year or so behind in terms of that development and completing their roster where they feel top to bottom, they have everything they need to make a run. So from that standpoint, I think you have to say, yes, it is the bills. Um, Now it's a matter of going out and proving it uh, and winning the games you need to win. And I don't have to tell you guys this, the schedule for the AFC East is Mm -hmm. very difficult this year. You're playing the AFC West, in intra-conference and then you're playing nfc west in inter-conference games and we all know what those two divisions have to offer the afc west which has largely been predicated on speed thanks to kansas city putting more speed on the field than everybody everybody else in that division tried to catch up with that team to add speed to their respective rosters and then you got nfc west which they're either throwing it all around the yard or they're trying to pound you into submission with teams like seattle and san francisco so It's going to be a tough road to hoe, and that's why I think, guys, 10 wins in the AFC East this year might be enough to win you the division based on that strength of schedule.
0: Chris, final question from me here. Just what are your overall thoughts on Jets, Bills, and where they're at in the schedule, week one and week seven?
2: Seeing the Bills and Jets at week one and week seven is a little different than what we've seen because they usually get the Jets at the back end too – it's going to be interesting to see what ramifications those two games have knowing the last time they're going to play them, It's not even going to be Halloween yet. Yeah. Um, it's a different dynamic for sure. And so the bills I think, and the jets for that matter are going to have to hope that they're not in direct competition with one another, come the back end of the schedule because they're not going to have that head to head game that they usually have to maybe make up a difference or create some separation in the division standings.
0: EA, I really like what Chris Brown said. How do you go from being the hunter to the hunted? And it goes back to what you said earlier in this podcast. A lot of people think the Buffalo Bills are the favorites when you think about the Bills last year, playoff team, Tom Brady leaves. The the Patriots are kind of a question mark there, especially who's going to play quarterback. And then you think about, they make the move for Stephon Diggs. They improve a top five defense already. I mean, on paper, they're a very good team, but how do you go from being the hunter to the hunted, and how does that affect your team? I'll tell you what is going to help a team like the Buffalo Bills. I
1: think everybody in the National Football League has not had a traditional routine offseason, so stability helps and continuity helps. Well, Sean McDermott is entering his fourth season there as head coach of the Buffalo Bills, and Brian Dayball has been the offensive coordinator there Uh, while McDermott's been in place, and Leslie Frazier as well on the defensive side of the ball. So that continuity is going to help the Bills as they start out another year. Likewise, for the Jets, now it's year two for everybody in Adam Gase's offensive system and Greg Williams' defensive system.
0: Something that we didn't really talk about with Brownie or on this podcast yet is what Stephon Diggs does for the other receivers. And obviously he's going to be a big part in that Bills offense and a favorite target you would assume of Josh Allen. But John Brown last year, I think quietly had an 1,000-yard season. And when you factor in that he's going to probably receive less attention now with Stephon Diggs on one side and then Cole Beasley and the emergence of Devin Singletary at the end of last year, I feel like, the Bills offense is primed to take a step forward. Obviously there's a difference between paper and execution, but I think that right now it is fair to say that the Bills are probably the favorite in the AFC East. When you factor in continuity additions in the offseason, and the fact that they made the playoffs last season, but I still think that you can't count out the jets in this game alone because Obviously we we think about the week one game of last year as a as a loss, but the Jets could have very well won that game. And I think that the Jets will be motivated and the fact that they have some continuity into their second year in the system and Sam Darnold gets some reinforcements up front along the offensive line, similar to the Buffalo Bills in the past offseason. I just feel like things are gonna match up real well for a very good, very intense game. In week one.
1: It's going to be a tight game in week one, and then we'll have to see what happens in week seven. The Bills are going to be challenged by the Kansas City Chiefs on a Thursday night game, which will be a raucous environment in Western New York. They'll probably benefit, I would think, by taking a step back following that Thursday night game and having the 10 days to prepare uh, for the New York Jets. The quarterbacks are always going to dominate the storylines. no different in this matchup because Tom Brady no longer a member of the AFC East and these two guys could be dueling against each other for a long time. And Sam Darnold with the Jets, Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. You mentioned the skill position talent around Josh Allen. It seems like the Bills totally rebuilt this thing in phases. Last year, They brought in Beasley and Brown in the offseason, but they needed the true number one, so they went out and traded for Stephon Diggs. And they also, last offseason, revamped that offensive line. Interesting comments there from Brownie about the structure and the way Joe Douglas is going about it here with the Jets is that we saw Josh Allen take a jump last year. We saw Sam Darnold improve last year. I think he might be in position to take a leap this year. But these guys are forever going to be connected because Darnold goes three to the Jets out of USC. Allen goes seven to the Bills out of Wyoming. Same draft class. And these guys train together in the offseason under Jordan Palmer out in Southern California. So um, always uh, going to be uh, fun because you think about those two these two teams now with the Patriots going under serious transition without perhaps the greatest player of all time on their roster. A lot of people are saying the AFC East is wide open, and I I would concur. I might agree with Chris though. The Bills might top the to bottom, have the best roster in the AFC East, but you got to play these games out on the field, and I think Joe Douglas has done. A lot of very good things with this Jets roster in a short amount of time because we're taping here in May. He hasn't even been the Jets GM for one calendar year.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that the Darnold Allen storyline will forever be there. But I hate to say this again because we've said it a number and a number of times, but Sam Darnold is turning 23 in June and Right now, he's the same age as Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert. He's six months younger than Joe Burrow. I'm saying this because I agree with you that I think Sam Darnold improved last season and I think he'll take a leap this upcoming season in 2020. There you have it, the first edition of the opponent preview series on the Jets official podcast. There you have it, the first opponent preview series on the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. EA and I back breaking down 49ers with Greg Papa.